to this. You know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, brother, man, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spashano, joined, as always, by the player, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Dan, I'm doing well. You know, the, the, the Dan and Benny train is chugging along. We're at stop number 145, just one more away to historic episode number 150. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, and 150 will be a big one next week. But this is going to be an interesting episode this week, 149. We've gotten some feedback about old episodes and bits we did uh, over the past few years. I mean, obviously coming up on three years on the show. And what we're going to do with this episode, this is actually a re-release of sorts from an interview that was conducted a uh, couple of years ago. This was conducted in 2021 with uh, our guest tonight is going to be independent wrestler Irvin Legend. And the interesting thing is in the interview, which like I said, this is about two years old. We, we had to uh, clean up the audio a bit remaster some of the stuff uh it's just me and Irvin legend talking this was recorded uh during one of your uh, vacations as it were um i think you were you were off with one of the many um women that, that you've talked about through the years probably uh, a visit a brothel or two in florida Tasmanian hooker maybe uh, who, who knows <laughs> I, I can't keep track of that stuff right anymore. right you were you were uh, uh enjoying the fireworks at raymond james um, oh yeah you know, it's funny, but the point is, is in the stories he's going to tell, and I want everybody to put this in perspective because this was, like I said, this was a couple of years ago. Uh, this was pre, really pre the bulk of COVID. Um, you know, and and the the wrestling landscape changed a lot. And he talked it, but he's going to talk about his dreams and and ambitions for the future. Since this episode's been recorded, Irvin's appeared on AEW. I had the pleasure to watch him when he wrestled on AEW. He was uh, here in, in Norfolk, Virginia, recording that. He's been on WWE television. And uh, he's had kind of a resurgence of sorts in the Mid-Atlantic area, uh, coming back from from some some injuries and, and some other things he's worked through. So great guy. Uh, or like I said, Irvin Legend, look him up. One of the prettiest dropkicks in the business. So we're going to have some fun tonight, Benny. Uh, this is a easy night for you because outside of the intro, it's going to be an old interview. But like I said, I want everyone to listening to understand this was recorded a couple of years ago. We had to clean the audio up um, and kind of remaster it because people had brought up that we had clips and references, but it's like, Hey, now that you've got, you know, the full studio and the setup and obviously, you know, three here, we're coming up next week will be 150 episodes. We wanted to, to kind of give back uh, to, to the fans and, and the people on the page and a lot of our supporters. And so we did that. I found th this old interview. We cleaned it up. We did this uh, uh, about, what, a year ago with the interview we had with uh, Duke Drosy. Um, so, yeah, here it is. Uh, wrestling, uh, independent wrestler, Irvin Legend. A uh, superstar, uh, money man himself, Irvin Legend. Irvin, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's going to be, we'll have a lot of fun. You know, uh, well, we're gonna get right to it. Um, obviously, you, you know, we, I met you through uh, my time in the wrestling, uh, going to shows and various things. So, uh, how did you get involved in the wrestling business? Well, to be honest, I've always uh, been into wrestling, and um, literally, right after I was actually a junior in high school, <clears throat> there was a promotion called SPW, which was ran by Mark Myers, Mark Anthony, and Marty Reed, and people uh, Curtis Mack, and all of them were training there, and. They had this deal with Buffalo Wild Wings where we'd watch the pay-per-views and then they would sh a little side TV, they'd show their stuff. So, like, I went up to Mark. I was like, well, how much does training cost? And he's like, $250 a month, which I couldn't afford $250 a month. I didn't have a job at the time. Mm -hmm. so about, you know, a year until I graduated, and I, I went to another school, HCW, which is like 15 minutes down the road in Norfolk. And uh, I trained there for a few months, got my feet wet, got a little bit more money, went back to SPW. I was hopping back and forth. 
because I didn't know what the best place, you know, to go. And by that time, I was, you know, I had a little year of training under my belt. I graduated from SPW under Mark Myers, and then SPW got sold to Deshaun Wright at Northtown PWA. So I became PWA, and that's where I got retrained by Marty Breed and uh, Damian Wayne. And that was 2017, 2018. And okay. after that, I just started branching out. You know, it's funny you talk about yeah, you know, so how your life is connected. Um, the uh, Eddie Graham down in Florida used to say the the best best characters are yourself turned up to eleven. And I actually have to admit, it's kind of funny um, being a fan of yours. Before we got to know each other, I I thought a lot of the persona was the character until I found out your connection with the Money Gym and all that. It, it was legit. So when I when I go and watch. Urban legend in the ring. Where does the man end and the character begin? Where does that line get blurred? Well, to me, like my hero, my inspiration, not even wrestlers, Floyd Mayweather. So I didn't make the money team connection until last year. And I didn't get on the money team until a few months ago. But like I was so fascinated with him, with us both being African American, pretty much the same height. We both came from broken homes. I was like, well, this guy's a billionaire. If he can be the best at his profession, why can't I? And the more that I watched him, the more I became him. And I'm not just like him, but I'm pretty damn close. I like to think, you know, some people even call me the Mid-Atlantic uh, Mayweather, which I didn't call myself that. But right. some people say that. But him and The Rock are definitely uh, two of the inspirations from my character. And then Urban Legend's just me bumped up, you know, 10, 11. That's who I actually am, you know. Right. Y- you know, we've had uh, numerous people – through the last the, through the months on the show and, and a lot of the uh, veterans that worked with studios and schools and all they say one of the biggest problems with wrestling with with trying to train new wrestlers today is some of these young kids come in and they have a gimmick already in mind and they have a finisher already in mind and a character already in mind where where along the lines of your training obviously you said it's just you turned up where along the lines of your training did you decide to go with you turned up and not try and play a a character that's completely against your nature. Well, the biggest problem I see is when people try to uh, people try to portray a character that doesn't fit them. For me, it's natural because it's who I am. Most of these guys have a character that doesn't match their personality, and they don't have music to match. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it, it all clicked, and then that comes my move. You know, I'm I did take boxing lessons at Sweepy Whitaker's boxing school, so I'm a brawler. I can do technical wrestling because of Tyson Kidd because he taught me a lot of things, which. By the way, I've been keeping this on the download, but October 2021, I enrolled in Seth Rollins' school in Iowa. Nice. So I'm going to be training under Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins next year in the fall. That's awesome. You know, you mentioned Tyson Kidd. I saw an uh, article on, through, come over my feeds today that he released kind of a training montage of sorts. Uh, do you have any insight on how he's he's doing? I mean, he's, he's, he's killing it. The gym. He's in, be- he's in the best shape of his life. Mm-hmm. As far as him wrestling, I can't answer that because that's for him to answer himself. But I'd like right. to see him in the ring. I mean, he pretty much like the severity of his injury because everybody's comparing his injury to Stone Cold's and Edge is completely different. Um, Tyson's brick was way higher up than both. And technically speaking, it's like he got decapitated internally. That's mm-hmm. how bad it was. So, I mean, he, yeah, should they- been, he should be in a wheelchair right now. He's not. He's working out. He's healthy. He's happy. Right. That's. Well, I, I remember when when the injury happened, they actually mentioned that that the fatality rate for that type of neck break is very high. So the fact that he's I mean, not only that he's not paralyzed, but that he survived at all and is, like you said, in the best shape. I mean, you did a uh, chat with him recently and he's jacked and still going in the gym. And that's impressive uh, on his end. And I, I mean, are you involved in either other than being a supportive friend? Do you have you had a chance to train or work with them at all? We've worked out. Uh, plan, we've worked out at uh, One Life when uh, they came to the Norfolk Scope. Me and him got an early workout. I'm supposed to be going to Florida in October, so we might, you know, we might try and get a workout or two then. Maybe do another live or something. We got someone. Well, then, then let me ask you there. Um, the the obviously your travel and and some of the local bits um have you how have you seen being on the inside uh had wrestling how is it living as a wrestler in the co in the post-covid world right now oh man it's like really rough because i'm used to be on the go traveling working it's like we're all suffering and it's like more power to here's the thing i might get heat for this i really don't care but more power to the guys that are still working shows but 
if WWE's not doing live events, if the biggest company in the world's not doing live events, what makes you think that I'm going to wrestle for an indie fed and potentially catch COVID and then bring it home to my family? Right. Like, it's good. It's really hard to put on a show with a mask. You got to be body on body. It's not. I don't think it's worth it. I know. I know you guys are desperate to wrestle, but as long as that's happening, COVID's still going to be around. Well, then, then let me ask you something. I don't know how much you you follow the current product. Um, do you think that the COVID atmosphere with the empty arenas and the, the somewhat forced stories they have to go with because your roster is slimmed down, do you think that's what's impacting heavily the fact that across the board ratings are down for wrestling? I think they're trying to give us something, but I definitely feel like there could be more of an effort. Like, everybody knows I'm a WWE guy, but AEW's killing it right now. And it's mm-hmm. like, with WWE, the problem with WWE is they got so much repetitive shit shit that we've already seen before and that's why the ratings are going down you know i don't know who exactly is in charge i'm not trying to bury trips or vents but they definitely come for something new man because it's like i don't even watch the product right you, you know well D- D- i was gonna say i wouldn't feel terrible about that based on ratings no one else does either you know the recent uh the highest rated broadcast wwe's ever had was back in 99 there was a raw did an eight share it opened with the um corporate ministry if you remember that storyline and that that was i mean over eight and a half million people watching raw nxt or excuse me AEW just won the ratings war this week with eight hundred thousand people i mean you're you're talking a tenth of your audience from 20 years ago uh, how much of that can you blame on covid versus the product obviously covid is a big obviously covid is a big deal is a big reason for that but it all boils down to creativity i feel like Delvin needs to make more of an effort to be more creative. I mean, the underground, this ain't fucking fight night. Like, come on, man. What is, what is this crap? The only clever part that I saw was the Fiend and Alexa Bliss, because if they were smart, that now would be the time to turn Bliss into Abigail. Yeah, that, that seems to be uh, a lot of the internet's calling for that. Actually, it's funny you mentioned fight night. I had the note down. I was going to ask you, being a, doing the boxing training, too. Um, do you see that being... A, like a, a, a second coming of the brawl for all or or is this maybe any at this point just throw anything at the wall and see what sticks i hope it's not brawl for all i mean that was a flop in about a month i just they're trying to find something to to occupy to entertain but it's not working yeah but it's just it's kind of sad i mean they lost a lot of their stars to aw they just need to come up with something new i don't i think uh, Paul Hamer's not charged. I think it's Pritchard and somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Tech, tech. Uh, further because with uh, Paul Heyman being demoted, they said Bruce Pritchard's the creative control for both Raw and SmackDown. And then I assume uh, since they didn't change, make it, announce any changes, Triple H and his crew are still running NXT. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like they missed the ball with a lot of people. Well, another thing that irritates me is like. Here's the problem with WWE and AEW. They're both overpopulated. They got so many people on that roster that they don't know what to do with any of them. A lot of them. Right. Unless you're a main event star or you have potential, you barely get used. Which I, I mean, shit. If I became a millionaire by doing nothing, okay. But literally, you, they dropped the ball with EC3. Mm-hmm. He's multiple time world champion. They dropped the ball with Leo Rush. He should have been, he should have made a, a few IC title reigns. They dropped the ball with Zack Ryder. It's like, this is a pattern here. They're wasting. Right, the the how how Miz and Dolph Ziggler are, don't have two or three more title reigns is beyond me. Well, you got to have uh, uh, John Cena and Randy Orton have thirty between the two of them, so you got to keep, I mean, keep 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 the stranglehold. Because John Cena and Randy Orton are of this era of Stone Cold and Hogan, mm-hmm. and I think Roman's gonna Roman sliding in. I don't know, but we definitely need a top heel. That's why I said Miz could have Miz could have carried the Miz could have been the top heel for another like five ten years. But, right. You know, yeah. it, it's actually funny you mentioned that we talked about that on a show recently. That your 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 talent is so heavily fractured because you have your your Roman Reigns and your John Cena's who were really I don't want to say overly pushed, but you know where where they do their monster of the week storyline where you build up somebody just to have them lose at the pay-per-view and then you build up another heel just to have them lose the pay-per-view. You never end up building a top level heel. 
So, I mean, other than Miz, you mentioned, do you see anybody that they could maybe build a build a long-term feud around, be a, a Roddy Piper, be a, a, a ministry undertaker where you can have a long-term heel that's credible for years? Honestly, I could have said you could have been, well, Seth Rollins is about as close as a top heel as you can get right now. But if you're talking about looking in the future, I could definitely see uh, Andrade or Angel Garza in that role. Because uh, Angel Garza reminds me of Guerrero. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrade reminds me of, like, I'd say Guerrero and Esa Rios. I mean, there's a lot of there's different options. I mean, in my opinion, like, if you're talking about the top heel and for the future as pro wrestling as a whole, I easily got to go to MJF. I mean, that okay. dude, that dude, I only met that dude twice at uh, Creative Pro Seminars, and we did a tag team match together. Both oh, nice. I didn't have to, we barely called anything. We fed off each other. Yeah, he's, uh, I'll, I'll give you that. I'm, uh, we'll talk about AW here in a moment, but I, I'm a huge fan. He's, he is pure talent at both. I mean, he, he can tell the story in the ring, which is really something you don't see a lot today. And, and he's got the mic skills, but actually that's an interesting point. One of his talents is the, the, the ring psychology, which a lot of our veterans that we talk to on the show have talked about being kind of a dying art. Where do you fall on that mentality that, that sometimes telling the story in the ring is better than, or is more important than putting on a quality match? Because the story is what sells the match. Like prime example, I'm not putting myself over, but the best match in my career was Phil Brown, the last Mercedes match that we still, um, we told the story of, I'm a young, you know, I'm a, I think I'm better than Phil Brown. I mean, People don't understand the backstory of me and Phil Brown. Phil Brown brought me into SPW and helped train me. And for the longest time, I always felt like I had some shoes to fill. I felt like I was just as good, if not better, than Phil. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we did the last standing match, we literally beat the shit out of each other. I don't, a lot of people don't realize this, but I had to go to the ER after the match because um, oh, shit. I got kicked in the throat. And the reason why I was down for so long was because I had blood fill in my lungs. So, like, mm. as soon as I powdered, I went straight to the ER. And my lung, one of my lungs were like caved in. So I mean, we oh, beat Jesus. this other. And the story was okay. I stole this championship because I'm desperate. I'm a heel. I'm a coward. So when Phil came out, I dropped the belt and, and I left. But then right. when I was there to escape, he beat the shadow. Storytelling is definitely. If there's no storytelling in the match, the moves don't mean anything. From the pace to the storytelling to the moves, everything has to click. Like prime example, one of the best, the best storytelling, one of the best. Example of storytelling I saw was Shawn Michaels versus Triple H, either Hell in a Cell or Last of Standing match. You could even go, um, you know, Triple H and Orton when Orton right. was young, and there was mentor versus pupil. Mm-hmm. So story to me is really important. I don't like to bury people, but I see a lot of matches where there's just moves, with no sequence, with no meaning. Kick, insecurity, flips. That's cool and all, but like back right. in my a suicide dive got a pop. Because people don't do it often. Now they do that shit every match. Yes, you know that's something we we talked about actually just on our very on our last show. You mentioned AEW. Um, I'm a I'm a pretty harsh critic of some of that. I I I call it amateur wrestling, where you get these guys that that look they look more like kids playing wrestler than they do wrestling, and. You know, you I, I'm not trying to call anybody out in particular, but someone like a Young Bucks where they'll, you'll have 25 super kicks in one match and a dozen suicide dive or someone like a Kenny Omega where it's flip high spot flip high. You know, the, the moves are impressive, but five minutes into the match, I don't know what the hell's going on. There's no story. Whereas if you look at, say, uh, one of the better examples I can think of is WrestleMania three Hogan Andre. That was a really I mean, technically speaking, that wasn't a very well orchestrated match you had two kind of bigger lumbering guys but no one remembers that match as anything but one of the greatest things they've ever seen because the story was so strong so on your end then when you're playing obviously you know on all the time i've watched you you, you've been a consistent heel um where do you go as far as the training and the mentality for the story like you were talking with you and phil versus i've got to get the big spots i've got to pop the crowd but at the same time i gotta send them i gotta tell tell a story i'm technical i'm not old school i'm a brawler i can do anything and everything i choose not to dive because for one there's no longevity if you dive every match it's gonna mm-hmm. catch up i don't need to dive to get a pop i get a pop because my character works and that's right. my problem if i'm one of the new the new generation the new guys that don't do that flippy do hop circus shit i'm not sure i'm not shitting on it but i don't agree with it because for one 
if you do it the right way, the dive's going to get a pop. Like, if you do it midway through the match out of desperation, okay, okay, he's literally throwing the body at the guy to knock him down. If you do it five minutes in the match, how are you going to follow it up two or three spots after that? You got nothing to follow up with, and the crowd's already seen the most exciting part of the match. Right. No, that's I a mean, fair point. It's a fight. Like, to me, my mentality, this is what Floyd Money Mayweather told me. Whether you win or lose, people pay to see me. Mm-hmm. You ain't going to make money if you make stupid decisions. If you're legitimately fighting somebody, why would you do a front flip? This ain't, you're not an American's ninja warrior. You're trying to literally punch the guy out. So when right. I'm in the ring, I try to knock you out or choke you out or just beat you up and knock your teeth out. I don't need to flip. But right. I, um, one, one of the best matches I also had was me versus Carino. I let uh, Colby do the lucha stuff. I don't do, I, gro- I grounded him every spot, a backbreaker, mm-hmm. suplex. I mean, so flips are overused, kicks are overused. The one thing that really pisses me off is when I see somebody work the leg and they're doing super kicks. If you're working the leg, you can't kick. You can't right. dive. Or if you're going to dive, limp or hold your leg after you dive. I see these guys get their legs destroyed and they're doing like Canadian destroyers. It made no sense. So psychology nowadays is pretty much kind of dead because I feel like I'm a heel. I can get away with this shit. But I feel like the fans ruined wrestling in a sense because they're looking for over-the-top shit. Mm-hmm. Fans from 10 years ago want storytelling. Now these fans want us to maim ourselves. We can maim ourselves without actually maiming ourselves. That's right. where that's where art comes into play. You know, well, like um, I'm gonna put him over, but me and him recently had a falling out. And me and Dam- Damian Wayne's one of my trainers. That man could get a pop and he doesn't have to do fancy shit. He punches you in the mouth, he drop kicks you, chops mm-hmm. you, pop. Because that's where I got my old old school mentality with Wayne, because he taught right. me. You don't need to do a 450 to pop. So, I mean, yeah, I hope that's one of the uh, I hope that's one of the moves you picked up from him because anybody that has has had the opportunity to see him, Damian Wayne's got one of the prettiest drop kicks I've ever seen. So you uh, you, know, you you talk about actually, it's funny you mention punching in the mouth. That's something that's come up too. Uh, one of the more vocal critics uh, on social media and the podcast network is Jim Cornette about the idea of the real fight. You know, you have to make the crowds don't aren't interested if the fight because let me let me rephrase that that's my big objection to it when you have some of these high spots where you know you mentioned the canadian destroyer that's certain moves that it's so it's even the casual fan it's obvious the guys in the ring are working together and and that's not to say that that wrestling has to be real but when you watch a a flare steamboat or you mentioned you know say like heart Heart HBK or HBK Triple H, the, the, you can have spots where the guys work together, but it still looks like a fight. When you're sitting there and and you're you know you, the, where you're positioning yourself right under the rope, and there's nine guys that you're going to jump into, and it it just looks it looks like a stunt show. Um, I think the, the the point you made, and I'm going to ask you to expand on that, is where do you draw where do you where do you draw the line with like you, you want to kind of push the envelope a little bit. But at the same time, you want to keep grounded in what worked because that's where the fans were. I mean, you know, 30,000 people showing up at a Sunday night heat versus uh, SmackDown selling out with 12,000. Like the, the crowds left when all this crazy shit started happening. Well, like you said, I got I got pet peeves in the match. One thing I hate more than anything is the diving spot when the guy that's going to catch me looks up and waits for me like. If I'm catching you, I'm having my back turned to you until you are in the air. So I don't expect I'm not gonna sit here like let me catch you like a fucking no. It's right. It's, part of being a, a art an artist is to hide certain stuff. This is why there's smarts because we give our own shit away. So if I know someone's diving on me, I'm not gonna have my, I'm having my back turned to them until I because I have this this sense. So when I mm-hmm. see a, something in the air, I look up and okay, let me get it. Or if I see somebody waiting to get punched. Why are you gonna look at me? Why don't you? Why aren't you gonna try and dive or get out the way? Right. So there's little things that I see that don't make no sense. Um, I'm, I'm, I like any show I'm booked on. I watch every match. Um, just today's wrestling is just—it's crazy. I don't. I'm not gonna call it a circus, but it's—it's it's not believable. I mean, and, and to me, I'm gonna touch a subject. <clears throat> this intergender wrestling. Um. I'm sure there are a lot of girls in the world that can give me a run for my money, but realistically, this is a fact. Men are, are genetically stronger than the women. Yes. To me, I feel like intergender wrestling opens the door for domestic violence because if I'm in the ring with 
a woman, which they listen, the women are killing it right now. I'm not mm-hmm. taking nothing. With but if I'm in the ring with a woman and we're wrestling and I'm hitting her, which I I'll never hit a woman. Somebody in the crowd be like, oh, Urban Legends beating a woman. Let me let me the next time I get pissed off, I'm gonna do that to my wife. So then right. that falls on me because I set the example. That's just me. Some people might disagree with me, but I don't I don't support it. It's believable if it's done right. I just don't. I won't participate in it because that's like justifying hitting women, whether it's in the ring or not. Right. You know, it's funny. We had a, uh, a series of, of female. We did the uh, ladies of wrestling and, and we had a, a handful of old female legends and every single one of them across the board from act currently active to your Joyce Grables uh, of the eighties and seventies all said that they hate the idea of women and men wrestling because it not only, a lot of what you said where it, it kind of hurts the atmosphere, but it also devalues the women's title because you have someone like a, when, when, when Tessa Blanchard was the, the, the impact heavyweight champion. Well, what does the impact women's title mean? Absolutely nothing. Cause the best woman on your roster is not your woman's champion. And no matter who is, you're not the best woman on the roster. So your women's title is meaningless. What irritates me is women have busted their ass for decades, trying to not trying to, they've, solidify themselves as equals. Mm-hmm. But when you're in the ring with a man, you devalue yourself as an athlete. For one, it should be women's wrestling and men's wrestling. It shouldn't mix and match because, one, it's not believable. It makes me look weak. Right. It makes them look like superhumans, and then at the same time, it's a double standard. If I go home and we get in a fight and the woman gets beat up, which never happened because I don't hate women. But it just opens up the door for too many negative stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, we had women pioneers bust their ass to, to, to be equal. Now you got women's and men wrestling together. So not only does that take away from our title championship, it takes away from women's championship. I just, I can't support it. I mean, I'll make an exception. Like when me and Case Carlisle did that spot in BCW, that made sense. Why? Because I was counting money. I was not paying attention. I turned around, bam, got me out. Right. But if we legit got in a wrestling match, it's not believable. I, I, can, I can understand that. You know, it's actually it's funny. Um, another point that kind of comes up when you, you talked about the believability, uh, there is a, a one of the better moment uh, examples, I should say, through history was when Mark Merrow jumped to the WWF after being Johnny B. Bad in WCW. He was slated for a feud with Steve Austin and Steve Austin put a quash on that the night before they were supposed to start the house show circuit, because on I think it was Raw. Uh, Sable beat up Mark Marrow, and he apparently the way the story goes, Steve Austin called the front office and was like, "I, he just got his ass whooped by a woman. What challenge is he going to give me? This story's killed." And Marrow never really recovered push wise. Uh, so I mean, I see your point with the narrative, but then you talk about the spot, obviously, where you know you can have maybe a interference, uh, a low blow, a ref distraction, something like that. But where do you think that puts? Do you think that that oh, having a woman in a, in a main event or in a man spot, do you think that that hurts any attempt at branching out further? Like if you were to have a women's tag division or a women's cruiserweight where, you know, you, again, you're you have women that are saying, I'm I'm too good to compete with the women on this roster. Doesn't that devalue the rest of the female athletes? Yes and no. Like, I believe personally that a woman is totally capable of being a main event spot. But mm-hmm. as long as it's with another woman. Like, women need to face the women. Men need to face the men. The only thing that would make sense if we do an interference angle, like if I'm working a guy and a woman comes out, a woman's right. wrestling, a female talent. I don't. You gotta be careful how I use the term woman because I'm not devaluing them as human beings. But I understand. The only thing that makes sense is if like they give me a little blow. I mean, hell, you can get away with the hurricane runner spot as long as that's all you do. You can do it the right way, but literally locking up and power slamming me, not gonna happen. Right. And, and when you have, you mentioned like WWE earlier, someone like a Braun Strowman, where you build it up, where he's literally tossing a big rig and flipping an ambulance, you know, he gets in the ring with someone like an Alexa Bliss. How is that supposed to be a fair fight? You know, you, 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 you like over the top now. Like, <clears throat> I believe, I mean, I believe in mixed tag. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's intergender. I don't support it. I don't believe it. It's not believable. Again, my biggest problem is domestic violence. Because it's too much of that, and it really pisses me off. And anytime I see a man hit a woman, because that's weak. Right. There's a double standard because now they're like, well, women deserve to be treated equally, which they do. But here's the thing. 
if a woman hits the man in today's society, the woman's going to get hit back, which I don't agree with. I don't even think a woman should hit a man. I don't think there should be any hitting at all, unless you're trying to defend yourself for whatever reason. Right. But realistically, it makes t- like a, if a woman beats me up, it takes away from my mystique. Mm-hmm. Takes away from me as a man. I don't. I'm not going to devalue myself to put, you know, to do that. I mean, as long as we do it the right way, cool. But my biggest problem again is somebody sees in the ring with a woman, and I'm stomping her lights out in the corner. Right. Some can get drunk that night and stomp their wife out for real, and then that's going to like motivate them to actually beat on a woman for real. So that's my biggest fear is. I more respect that. Because people still, oh, oh, I saw Stone Cold give Lita the stunner. Let me go home and, or I saw Stone Cold hit Lita over the head with um, back of the chair, or I saw Baron Corbin give Becky Lynch the end of the day. Let me go home and do that to my wife and hope mm-hmm. there's anything. It made no sense. It's a dangerous spot to be in. The only thing I would prove of is like maybe giving them one or two spots like to help their, you know, alley or maybe get some some revenge on me. Like a low blow is fine, a slap is fine, her right. or whatever. Even DDT if it's done right. I got no problem putting over women, but I'm not gonna be in a singles match with them. I mean, I can I can understand that. Well, then let's let's transition from there. You talk about uh, your your singles and tags matches, and you've mentioned obviously your your bit with uh, Phil Brown. There was an old saying in wrestling that everybody has a a first love and a true love. Who, outside of the story you told with Phil Brown, who's the the your favorite person you've worked with since you've been in wrestling? Aside from Phil Brown. Yeah, I mean, we, you already t- I told that story. You have is if he's number one, I guess you can tell us another Phil Brown story. But do you have somebody else that you really enjoyed working with, or would love to go out of your way to work with again? Probably Gangrel. Okay, um, that was like one of the biggest matches in my career. I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up watching the guy. He's awesome. He's professional. Nice, nice guy. Um, you know, of course, I lost. No, no. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, no, 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 no shame in that. That was actually a hell of a match. I was, uh, I was in the crowd that night. I tried doing some tricks, tried the garlic, holy water cross, none of it worked. But then I realized, <laughs> oh, oh, Urban, uh, Gangrel so, sells a garlic hot sauce. So I was like, all right, well, shit, none of that yeah. worked. Right. It's actually funny. That kind of goes back to the original point. Um, having watched that match, that was a story too. You had uh, the, the, the kind of. Cow, you know, not maybe the cowardly is not the right word, but yeah, you know, the, the the kind of scared heel that was doing the whatever he could to get away from from the guy you were scared to fight, but at the same time you could tell this, uh, you know, you have a reputation, you can't back away, you, you talked a lot of shit the few the previous months, and I, I think it was it was a great mix of, and I, I'm saying this as a compliment to the match, it was a great mix of. I hate to use the term, but I guess the, the, the slang is chicken shit heel. And, you know, as well as somebody who tried to take the cheat, you know, the shot because you had to, to talk shit to the crowd. So let me ask you there. How does that story go? What when, when you were I'm not asking you to peel back the curtain too much, but what preparation goes into a match like that where there's such a unique storyline? I just always have the real spinning and I, I literally spent. The night watching vampire movies, like, okay. <laughs> That's Maybe. great. Because I try to kind of imitate Orton versus Undertaker at SummerSlam as much as I could. Okay. Because uh, Gangrel is like a phenomenon. So with me being a legend, technically I'm not a legend killer. Right. But I'm going after all the legends so that I can be the only legend in business in my own eyes. That's my, that's my goal. So I'll talk all that shit. And then when I'm in the match, I'm like, shit, what do I do to beat this guy? <laughs> I better back what I say. I don't back down from a fight, but right, gang girl, like someone in the company don't like me. But you know, I, I guess you can some, you know, call myself a chicken shit. I'm just very smart. I'm, so I'm I, not a big. Oh, I'm sorry. Know, I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. If I know I bit off more than I could chew, I'm doing everything in my power to get the upper hand. Right. Yeah, hey, I'm not a big fan of that term. That's just what I've heard people use. The the cowards. You know, you mentioned. Um, I think I would say. Seth Rollins during his first title run when he was running from Ambrose and Kane and all them guys. I think that's kind of a, a the mentality of that, that, that coward. So then let me ask you something from, from a fan perspective, you mentioned being a fan of his growing up. I've, I've talked to some guys in the past that have had the chance to wrestle people. They grew up watching when you're in the ring and you're locking up or you're taking the DDT at the end of the match. How, what, you know, what go, what goes through your mind? Like, man, this is a, you know, you were a teenager watching this and now here I am in the ring. Like, how do you, 
I guess for lack of a better term, how do you stay in character and not at least crack a smile or if I, if I crack a smile, I crack on the inside. When I'm in the ring, I'm, my mindset is it don't matter who I'm in the ring with. Right. I'm the best, un, I'm the best talent in the entire world, signed or unsigned. Can't nobody outperform me. Can't nobody outsell me and can't out nobody do me. Mm-hmm. And from an athletic, a promo, I like to think I'm one of the best promo guys here in the area. Right. Anytime I grab a microphone, I just say what's on my mind. And I, you know, hopefully I don't get in trouble, but I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm, very, I'm a big promo guy. I love talking shit. I don't like being a baby face. I can do baby face, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of cocky. Nothing about me changes. Yeah. Several, several high profile and some of the indie guys we've talked to through, through the year over the last year have all said they, they, if they could could spend their career without ever being a baby face, they would because of how much fun being a heel is. But that's actually a great transition. Uh, you talked about promos. That's something that wrestling has been taking a lot of criticism for over the last few years is the scripted promo, the, the, the fake, just awful sounding, you know, sucker and suck attached bad promos you mentioned when you get out there it's you the mic the crowd you're done do you do you do a bullet point do you just have a have a I have a rough idea and shoot from the hip the way a someone like like the rock said he used to do where he would just have two or three points he's going to hit and whatever flows flows or do you go out there ultimate warrior style and just talk through until you make your point and then be done with it well for me i used to be underground rapper so i'm comfortable on the mic and i'm i'm uh i'm comfortable with like bam 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 I'm always thinking. So sometimes mm-hmm. I'll be given bullet points, but most times I don't hit them. Or if I think I'm going to hit them, I do it my way. So like if I was cutting a promo on Gang Grow and I was told, okay, hit this, this, and this, I'll hit it the way I'm going to hit it. Right. The worst thing is to pre-rehearse because a promo to me, it ain't a promo unless it's natural. Right. So every fucking thing down, people pick up, oh, he literally wrote all that shit down. It don't, it don't sound natural to me. That's mm-hmm. what that was a promo, in my opinion, is how natural and raw it is. And when me used to be a rapper, I'm used to like I used to do battle rap, so you had to be quick with quick with the distance. So when I'm on the mic, it don't matter who I'm in the ring with. I have about 15 different jokes I can lay on you just like that, and you won't be ready for them because you won't respond because I'll be hitting you more. Like like when Phil's right. in the room, you know I was calling him like you know a crackhead Terry Crews. <laughs> I said every time we went to the family reunion, you stole the sweet potato pie. I said. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I said, you kick yourself one time and you get a cramp. I was talking so much shit. And like, I literally made him laugh in the ring after I beat him by count out because his knee gave out. Like, the story mm-hmm. was, he can't kick if his knee's fucked up. So when I won by count out, I grabbed his leg. I'm like, you good, Uncle Ruckus? And he just started bursting out laughing. Like, <laughs> he looked I had to put my hand down because I was laughing. I got to my thing. He was like, why are you laughing? I said, because I, I ripped the fuck out of Phil. I said, do me a favor. This is, I said this all to them, Crowder. I was like, yo, play my music, but announce I'm the winner so I can stop laughing. When we got to the back, I was bursting out laughing. <laughs> we got a little bit of heat for that. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, not everybody has the ability to do promos. Like, if you're a heel, you don't have to be good on the mic, but it helps. Like, Randy Orton, he's not bad on the mic, but he's never been top tier. He, he, he had his moments, but right. he can tell a story about his facial expressions. You know what I'm saying? Someone like Dolph Ziggler or Miz, they're fucking money on the mic. Mm-hmm. I don't like putting myself over, but if anything, I think my mic my mic works better than my in-ring work, in my opinion. Now, you mentioned being a uh, your underground rapping. One of the things that, that came out of the shift to the Performance Center the WWE had when they first opened that was Dusty Rhodes taught a promo class, and that's something they still run with William Regal and some of those guys. Did you specifically work and train on promos, or do you have guys that do that? Or is it, if you got it, you got it. If you don't, here's a mouthpiece, or stay away from the mic. It's pretty much if you got the gift of gab, you got the gift of gab. If you don't, well, you better have a personality, and if you don't, well, here's a mouthpiece. Like, even when I first started training, all I did was talk shit. Like, Mm -hmm. drills, I'm like, oh, you busted, you know, 25 push-up. Y'all supposed to be pro athletes, and you're up here looking like you spent two years at Golden Corral, and you came and <laughs> you came to see your own penis. You came into a sit up by yourself. So right. like, I've always been the guy to talk shit. So like, when I was told, like when I first came to BCW, I was a baby face, which I didn't mind it. I just didn't like it because that wasn't me. I was just, I don't like kissing ass. I had to kiss ass. Right. And I was told, proud and all. God, now now the real urban came out, and because of that, like I'm up, I'm obsessed with money, 
every time I lose, I blame the money because I'm, I'm blinded by it. I can't get enough of it. And sometimes it distracts me. So with me being on the money team, I'm trying to be as close to Floyd Money Mayweather as I can in the rest of the rest of mm-hmm. Like kind of how he talks is how I talk. Kind of the shades, the, the furry coats. You know, the, right. I got $500, uh, $500 gold shoes that I haven't worn yet. So, I mean. Did, did that did that inspire the uh, the look, too, with the ring attire, the gold, and the, the trim and all that? To me, my favorite color is gold. So all my gear has gold in it. Because gold, to me, represents excellence. That's what I think I am. So that's why I have, like, purple and gold, black and gold, red and gold, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, then let me ask you. You talked about uh, where you know working and everything. Let me let me segue to another part. As as a as a performer, is you know when you were coming up and you were training and you you talked about bouncing back and forth between the schools. How do you maybe shed some light on the on the indie scene? How do you go about getting out there? Do do, do people contact you or do you kind of solicit yourself to say, look, I, I see you know. Let, let me send in a demo tape or, or let me talk to some of your guys and they could put a word in for me. How do you go about being say from, from if you know, I'm like you and I are both here in Virginia to, if you want to go wrestle in Pennsylvania or Florida, how does, how does, how does, how does that course happen? Oftentimes it depends on who you're with, who you get trained by. And your first, like for me at this point, I'll send footage out. But if I know someone's going, like if I know someone's in Virginia where I'm at and I know the book to Maryland, I'll just ride with them, my gear. And then, Hopefully, I'll send my stuff out before we go, and I'll get there and maybe have a spot for me. If not, then I'll get one later. If you want to get your name out, you always got to gotta be professional. You got to have a resume. You got to have some matches, promo clips. and won't hurt to send all that to the promoter, but oftentimes, it's like right time, right place. Most of these promoters don't want to spend the extra dollar to bring you in, and if you, they're going to bring you in, it's going to be for a reason. Okay. So my best bet is just get in the car and go. When you see a show, if it ain't too far, just drive up there and see what's up. And sometimes, they'll need somebody extra. And that's your chance to shine. Like, that's how I got into BCW. I set the ring up. I kept going to shows, and they, they needed some fillers for the lottery, and I showed out in the lottery. That's the lottery where I literally lasted an hour. And I did a backflip when I was eliminated, and I think that was one of the longest times to be in a, in a lottery. And then I became one of the main, the main heels there, aside from Brandon Scott. So it's all about making an opportunity for yourself. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? That's how you do that. Now, if you're just starting, you want to be on the road with the bet. But if you got some years on you like I do, it's just you gotta hit your hit your spots, you know, smart. If you're in Virginia, hit the New England region. If you want to hit Florida, hit there, hit Maryland. Oh. Well, then let me ask you something. You you talked about your story getting involved. One of the better cases uh, in wrestling was uh, Diamond Dallas Page. His first professional match, he was almost forty. Is there a, a point where you would tell somebody, you know? it's never too late to look into it. And if you're say, like I just turned 37, if I was to get interested in wrestling, what, what would you say to somebody in their mid thirties or, or early, you know, maybe, maybe past the point of where you would expect to start. How would, how would, what would your advice be to them if they wanted to get involved? Just got to make sure you're in the best shape of your life for your age. I mean, you've seen people break in thirties, forties. I think Wayne broke in. Yeah, I think Wayne broke in mid thirties. Okay. Early thirties. And he's one of the most accomplished wrestlers in the area. Right, end up world champion, you know. So I mean, it's never too late to an extent, um, but you gotta make sure you can carry the load. That's why I broke in at twenty. I'm twenty seven now, so I still got a lot. I still got at least fifteen years left in the tank, at least. I don't plan on stopping until I'm forty. Okay. So, well, then what? What about the other side? What? What? If you don't mind me asking, since we're on the topic of breaking in. What would you say, having uh, I mentioned earlier, my, my buddy, our buddy Jeff, what would you say to somebody that wanted to break in as, say, a referee or an announcer or maybe a, ma- a manager, a character, a valet, something like that? Would they take the same path, like you said, with the demo tapes and show up, or is there a different course for that? Well, whether you're a in-ring talent, a referee, a manager, still a talent. So you always got to carry yourself professional at all times. If you just want to be a referee, you can have – I mean, it's hard to send tapes of even a referee. I mean, I guess it's possible, but you always want to have someone on hand to send out. So okay. if, if you want to physically limit yourself to just being a manager, then regardless, you always want to have a character, except when you're a referee. Some referees are heels, some are faces, some are in between. Mm-hmm. So you kind of always want to have this mindset, okay, here's what I want to do. This is the style I want to have, and this is what I want to be known for. Like, to my personal opinion, not only because he's a good friend of mine, a lot of people don't realize this, 
but the greatest referee of all time right now. Some might disagree, but I think it's Marty Lyons because I put him over Lil Nates. I put him over Chad Patton. I put him over uh, Tim White because Marty Lyons developed a reputation himself before he got signed. And he's extended his brand to, to Fozzie, um, you know, Kiss. He does mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. So in my personal opinion, Marty already had accolades before he got signed. to w- Okay. So, I mean, you no matter what position you're in, you got to just make sure you be the best to your ability. So if you want to be a referee or, or a manager, have a, have a, you know, have a vision, have a plan and execute it. If you want to be a wrestler and if, I'm not going to sit here and say everybody's going to get signed because not everybody does, but you got to right. have a plan. Like if something don't work, you got to have another plan. Because stuff, stuff's never promised in this business. Like for me, I never thought I'd become friends with Tyson Kidd. I never thought I'd be friends with Natty. I never thought that I'd be accepting the Seth Rollins school. Never a million years that I did. Mm. It happened because I promote the hell out of my brand. Even when I'm not doing anything, I make connections silent. Right. Yeah, your your so your social media presence is definitely part par for the course. And then let me let me ask you something there. We we've talked social media before on the show. Where do you blur the line there between you and the urban legend, the wrestler, when you're having, when you have a social media, do you have a private persona and a public persona or is it once now that you're a public figure, that's it online. And all the only people who know, I don't want to say the real you for lack of a better term, the real you are the ones that know you. I don't really believe in the personal and professional page. I just have the urban legend page, but I'm very careful about what I put on my page. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll talk about certain stuff, whether other stuff I keep off social media. Like for me, I don't need, I don't want people to know my real name. So when you, I'm known as Urban Legend in and out. Right. My family knows my real name. My first real name is Urban, but the rest is like personal thing. Um, I understand I, that. You got to stay in gimmick all the time because for me, the biggest thing about gimmick killer is if you're a heel and you, like even when I go to the store, I'm in gimmick. So like today I went to Walmart to get some food. And this clerk was being a real dick. And I, I was like, all right, well, I got, I don't got it all day. I got shit. I, I got a, got a place to be. Just bring my shit up so I can leave. Right. And somebody went to VCW, so saw me and was like, hey, can I get a picture? I said, you better make a quick kid. I got shit. I got it. I didn't talk to him, didn't smile. I took his picture. I said, get the hell out. Right. Yeah, because if you're nice to him, when you had a show, like, oh, he was nice to me at the store, kills your entire gimmick. I can understand that. We, we had a, uh, a round table a couple weeks ago talking about social media. And there have been some high profile stories that have ended because people broke character on social media. Or when you see someone like Randy Orton punting Stephanie McMahon in the face, being this evil, wicked POS heel. And the next week he's on CNN doing an interview at a tribute for the truth show. I can't believe anything I see from him on. And I'm not saying, you know, the, 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 obviously kayfabe's dead. The genie's back in a bottle, but let me get your opinion on that since we're on the subject. Do you think that, that the, the modern, the, the digital age with social media and Twitter and Facebook has killed what was left of, of believability? Because people, people slip up. I think Orton get a, can get away with that because it's a good heel that, you know, he can get away with it. But if what, what doesn't, what I don't understand, like I just saw, like Kyrie Zane got sent off. But like right after she left, she's on social media talking about, oh, thank you for having me, yada, yada, yada. I would have waited about a week because, for one, you pretty much killed that assault that all them girls did on you. Like, they literally beat you up so badly that you didn't, weren't moving, but you can go sit on a computer and type. Right. You just killed everything that those girls did to you. You made the whole thing like shit. So, like, I wish people would think about before they do it. Like, okay, I can go to a special needs place to take pictures. All right. It's called charity. That's what heels or baby faces do. But mm-hmm. you'll, never, you'll never catch me taking a picture with someone I just work and say respect. Listen, our legends don't give a damn about respect. You know what I care about? I care about winning championships, making money, and getting every woman I possibly can. I don't give a damn about <laughs> respect because respect don't get you paid. Right. So the last thing I w- I'm not going to do is take a pick of someone in a restaurant and just work. Like, if I know someone's going to be in a restaurant that I work, I'm going to the other side of the restaurant. That's fair. You, you know, back in the kayfabe days, we've had some some fun stories Um that that we actually had some wives on Jimmy Snuka, uh, Wahoo McDaniel, their their respective wives on, 
And even the women, even the wives and girlfriends had to keep kayfabe. Like heels and faces didn't travel together. Heels and faces wives didn't, like you said, opposite sides of the, of the dining hall. You know, I guess, um, then let me ask you something as far as, as I'll take VCW, uh, the local promotion here, when, when the show's over and people are packing up their tables and all that, uh, where do you, where do you draw that? Cause you then at that point, you kind of, the, uh, the, the mystique sort of fades a little bit. Sometimes you might hear somebody slip up and use a real name. Do, do you go out of your way for that? In, in instances like that, I'm staying in the locker room or I'm staying in character until the last fans out of the building. What I do, Herb Legend does what he wants to do. So, you're mis- if you're a true professional, you never let your mystique fade away. So, what I do is I wait till a lot of while the fans are gone, but I'll still dress up like jeans, nice shirt, really mm-hmm. whatever. So, if a fan does see me and tries to talk, I'll have my back turned to him, or like if he wants to pick, you know, I won't smile, I'll take his pick, tell him to get the step. But <laughs> what I don't understand is if you're a heel, why are you going out during the intermission and like smiling and talking to kids? I don't give a damn about no kids. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I'm not smile at him. People just need to be smarter and just believe it, live their character. Because that's why people ain't getting signed because they don't live the character 24-7. My mentality is the only time you're supposed to be out of character is when they're at home with their family. If you're out in public, at the beach, guys stay in character somewhat mm. because the moment you slip up and they see you at a show, they're going to know that, okay, everyone is not mean in real life. That was a bunch of bullshit. And you just shit it on everything you try to every everything you try to make them believe you just shit it on. Right, that's the uh, you know the 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 idea of you, you won't believe wrestling is real, but you can believe that I'm real. Uh, so then let me ask you something. There you, you talked about with with uh, respect to the character and social presence. Do you uh, and being signed an expansion? Where do you where do you go from here? Where what, obviously you talked about the um, you dropped the bomb on the uh, the school, which is awesome news. Where do you, where do your plans go from here in, in the post COVID world? Where's where are you going personally as far as wrestling? Are you because we the shows some some within a short distance of where we live are going to start opening up here next month? Do you see yourself getting back into it anytime soon, or what? What's the plan? I mean. I really won't know until I see what the governor's going to do, until I see how this pandemic is going. I mean, I'd love to wrestle next month, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, because I think the governor says you can't hide an event more than 150, I think. And we mm-hmm. draw 500. So there's no way we can squeeze 150. Right. So, I mean, I'm planning on taking the rest of the year off, but I'm going to be working on other projects until shows are running again. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe in November, October, it will be. You know, we can run shows again. Okay. You, 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 you I'm t- still promoting and setting stuff so that when COVID is over, because a lot of these guys, here's where they're fucking up. The COVID is around. They're not doing nothing. They're just sitting on their ass eating Twinkies getting fat. <laughs> so if you're not putting work in or making a plan, when COVID is over, you'll have nowhere to go. Mm. So be their time to make connections. It most up. Be like, well, when COVID's over, I'm available. And then let's just hope they hit you up. I'm always doing something. You know, you you mentioned that I was that was going to be my next question. Uh, your social media, a lot of what you cover is your training regiments and your workout routines. Which, by the way, testament to your physique, uh, physical ability. Some of what you talk about doing. Uh, do you see has that been easier or harder in this post COVID world? Being staying in shape with the gyms or are they empty? Do you have to make special arrangements? I mean, it's, it definitely sucks. Like the gym I go to is, it took all the machines out. So I'm like, I've had to like stick to home workouts or sometimes I'll get lucky and go to my friend's private gym or like today I had to go to Planet Fitness. <clears throat> but I had to call them at 8 o'clock and I had to have I had to like pay a fee to have the gym closed off so I could use like half of it for like an hour or two. So I mean I, I'm trying to like you know plan as I go but that's why you need to have home workouts when stuff like this does happen you can still mm-hmm. work out. Uh, I mean most I, I can't speak for all these guys I don't know if they're working out. I'm seeing a lot of people on my feed you know still getting it in but some ain't. I mean, then they come back looking like they got a damn rack of Pillsbury biscuits that ain't been cooked yet. So, I mean, that's it. They flat. I mean, you're a professional athlete. You, gotta look like, you can't be looking like someone who, not not knocking someone who works at Wendy's, but you can't look like you work at Wendy's and then go home and then, you know, sell games from GameStop or something. If you're a professional, right. like you don't matter how tall or big you are. Like, I'm 5'9", I'm 190, but I look a little bigger than I am. Because mm-hmm. I 
nutrition's right, my supplementation's right, my diet's right, my, my workout fit for and me. You you've got you've got a good physique going for you. I mean, I'm I'm by no means in shape. You know, I'm I'm six two and and you know better better part of of pushing you know three hundred, but if you you look at other people i know that are 300 pounds and they can't fit through a doorway so i mean you know you, when you say 190 there's 190 you and then there's 190 that guy working at at, at the mall that you know actually it, it's funny because that's a good point um because we get towards the end here i want to want you to thought on thoughts on that one of the criticisms wrestling has gotten in recent years with the push to some of the smaller guys some of the more normal i don't know maybe normal is not the right word but more the more normal looking guys the the this larger than life athlete 610 jacked mr universe looking guy is slowly fading away do you think that's helping or hurting in the long run of the business helping because that's vince man's vision he always looks bigger guys but sometimes the best stars are smaller guys i feel like everybody deserves a chance to shine if you got it you don't if you don't you don't you don't got to be six foot ten and three hundred pounds to be a main event star. You could be, you could be Daniel Bryan and Jericho. Like, I mean, the one thing that this I should have mentioned this we're talking about Davis, but what pisses me off is when I see a big guy doing small guy shit. Like, if you're three hundred pounds, you ain't supposed to be Davis. What are we right. gonna do? You know how? What are, you, what are we gonna give some a power bomb? Certainly not. <laughs> yeah. So it's, the wrestling needs to hit a reset button because it's, it's fucked up. And like, to me. The good thing about like Triple H that he's doing is he's giving the smaller guys chances to shine. It's not always been about the bigger guys. Like back mm-hmm. when I broke, it was always about the bigger guys. So I had to work twice as hard to get respect. So now I can get respect because I work as hard as everybody else. So if you have a character, you sell tickets, you sell merchandise. It don't matter if you're five nine, six three, two sixty, one ninety. You're, you're marketable. I'm old school, so I don't I don't believe in having merchandise because it's really hard to sell merchandise at indie shows. Right. And if you're a heel, who gives a shit if they buy your stuff? I don't want no interaction with no fans. I certainly don't want no punk ass kid coming up to me. Hey, can I buy can I buy a shirt or a bracelet? Like I don't want to talk to this damn kid. So mm. I don't believe a heel you ain't supposed to buy you ain't supposed to sell much dice. I can see that. That's fair. Well then then um as we as we kind of wrap up here, let me ask you one one final thought then with the uh Again, that's that's a point. Actually, uh, Jer- Chris Jericho made that in a recent podcast. He was telling the story of uh, his partnership with the Big Show, where Big Show kept pushing to get team name T-shirts and all that made. And Jericho explained how, when you're a true heel, you don't have merchandise. That's you don't want the, like you exactly what you just said with the fans and all. Then put me through how you put yourself over outside of of letting your ring work do the talking. If there's no shirts if there's no is it word of mouth is it signs is it just so presence how do you put yourself over without that in, in the in the merchandise world because i'm one in a million people pay to see me they don't pay to see Cobra carino they don't pay to see phil but they pay to see the urban legend so i mean yeah you buy a ticket to come see a boy but i i don't need to sell merch to get over i don't need some merch to get fan base my fan base speaks through social media my fan base speaks through my work and my promos that sells more than any t-shirt because here's a problem with merchandise for a heel. You have to break kayfabe. Mm-hmm. So if I have some hot shirts right off the presses I want people to buy, I have to talk to those shitheads. I don't like kids. I legit right. don't like I don't like the little snot-nosed fucking granny-looking moms. I don't want to be bothered. I just want to get paid and leave mm-hmm. and, hit the and hit the clubs after. I don't care about the other shit. So if you're a heel, you're really not supposed to have merchandise. That's why every time I see a heel come out, hey, buy my merch. You just talk about how you don't give a damn about the fans. Why do you give a damn if they buy your stuff? You that's, that's a fair point. Like I've never, I've never needed merchandise. I mean, maybe like, and also, how you expect to sell merchandise in the indies and you get picked up? Okay, I've already bought Urban Legends merchandise on the indies, but now he's in Dolby. Why would I buy a second pair of merch? Don't you want your merch to fucking sell like hotcakes when you get picked up? Oh, that's Urban Legends first shirt. Let me buy it. You know, let me buy it. And then the guy, you know, number A, oh, I, I have Urban Legends from the Indies, but, you know, I already have one, so I don't need those. You got to mm-hmm. be, you know, I, I know it's hard for me to, like, keep my, you know, I don't give a crap about fans right now. But it's really hard for me to keep my name out without merchandise. But I've learned how to do that because I consider myself an old school heel in a new school, uh, new school environment. Some of the stuff I do is a mix of new and old school, but my mentality is older as they come. I don't, 
As a babyface, yeah, okay, depending on merchandise, you're a fan base. But even then, you place a limit on what you can do. So, like, it helps that I'm a heel because I don't need merchandise. Right. I I talk shit in the ring. I back it up. Might not always win, but my match is speaking to themselves. And that's what gets me fans. Okay, I know when Irv Ledger comes in the car, I'm going to be entertained. You buy a ticket to see me, that means I didn't have to buy your I didn't have to sell you a shirt to make you come see me. I'm working them without spending them a dollar. There you go. I always I always think from a business standpoint, how can I make the most money without spending money on my own? That's that's actually a brilliant way to look at it. I, you know, you don't think about it that way in the sense of of having to having to stay in character in order to do that. That's interesting. Well, you know, it, it, we wrap up now. I, I appreciate your time. This has been great. I do have a, a kind of a personal que- a request or question, I should say. Obviously, um, I, you know, I, I knew I knew a lot of the VCW guys. Um, Jeff, I took over for him uh, for this show after he passed. Do you have a, a having both known him? Do you have a, a favorite Jeff story you want to share? Well, before we talk about, I was actually uh, before Jeff passed. I was actually supposed to be uh, co-hosting the podcast. Oh, nice. But you know, obviously, that's not happening. My personal Jeff story is like uh, one of the VCW shows. I was trying to get Jeff to stop smoking, like. Because he, he smokes, so I hid his pack of camels in the locker room. <laughs> I told I told some hey yo get some donuts and put the cigarettes in the donuts. And let's see if Jeff finds. Them. I was fucking with him hard. He he comes back. my camels got like hey man I don't know what happened to him. I was like yo I said you know I made him go out in the parking lot, locked the whole parking lot. I did I drop him? I said I don't know man, but hey we got some fresh donuts for you. Um, and I wrote a note on the on the pack of cigarettes like yo stop put these shits down. He can't. I ain't never seen that man get so. He's like, "Oh, you took my fucking cigarettes." I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm helping you out. You know what I'm saying? And there was another time where we were actually hanging out at his house watching old wrestling antics, eating wings, and he got me so good. He put Crisco oil on the floor, and he called my friend. He's like, "Oh, oh, come quick! Your friend needs help." So I run down the stairs and fucking bust ass. So, and my knees, that was my ass, like sore for like a week. And he knew I had, that's when I had to face the ground a week after that. So I was walking funny because fucking Jeff, like, made me almost break my damn tailbone. So we would fuck with him all the time. You know, that was, uh, he was definitely a funny guy to be, be around. I miss him dearly. You know? Yeah, he was, he, he was a good dude, no question. Well, I appreciate your time. Do you have any, uh, anything you want to plug? Any final words as we sign off here? Just uh, don't use this pandemic as an excuse to, like, not work. You want to work every day. You know what I'm saying? So when this is over, you got something to work towards. You don't want to just you know, slack off. But I definitely recommend everybody keep busy and smashing the goals on the circumstances. At least trying. Works for me. Well, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, you know, we'll definitely have to have you back. Uh, I hope uh, everything works well. Keep in, keep in shape, and uh, it's awesome news. Your your upcoming school. So yeah. that's that's great. I'm. I hope. I mean, obviously, that's going to work out. I know there's big things in the future for you, like you said, 15 years. So you saw it here first. You know, keep keep an eye out. There's a, a future champion right there. Hey man, I definitely appreciate you having me on. That was, was fun. Well, my style has certainly changed since then. I know some of my sound equipment's improved, but there you have it, Benny. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, how far we've come. What do you think? Well, I was going to say for the millions and millions of player fans. Yeah, even though I wasn't there, fear not, because I'll be back next week. Absolutely. Yes, we, we've come a long, long way. And we, we still have a long way to go. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely we do. And we've got, I mean, it's, we're, like I said, uh, this is the beginning of November, uh, end of October. We're recording this, uh, you know, that that week. I mean, my, uh, Halloween's my anniversary, so we always have fun with that. Um, yeah, I know you're you're a big, big man of the, enjoys the holidays, all the, uh, all the women that come to your house dressed to ask him for, for sweets, which is really just, or as you call it, Tuesday. It's uh, like the DMV. They have to tell you, you know, get, get a ticket. Number C38. <laughs> and they wait in line for two hours. It's good Absolutely. stuff. Uh, you know, next week, like I said, uh, episode 150, we have uh, Steve Kern, one of the real legends of his era and really one of the, the last great bastions of the territory. Uh, I mean, you and I are 20 years apart and we both grew up watching him, or at least I should say watching him when we were younger. So it's right. great stuff. And I mean, obviously, like you said, we keep chugging along anywhere podcasts can be listened to. We we've, 
grown above and beyond our friends on YouTube, Dan and Benny in the ring. Uh, for those that just heard the interview, look up uh, Irvin Legend on YouTube. One of the prettiest drop kicks in the business. He's got a lot of a lot of good matches and a lot of good clips out there. Uh, he's you know wrestled some of the greats. Um, I know in the interview he mentioned his match with Gangrel. That's on there. That was with Virginia Championship Wrestling. He was around even in the era of the Vanguard Championship Wrestling. So it's good stuff. Uh, Benny, we got one week left till 150. Final thought to you. Yeah, I just, I mean, we, we started almost three years ago, interviewed Dominic DiNucci. I thought, man, if it ended now, I could say I did a podcast. And now I'm a, I'm a grizzled veteran, and uh, I've had so much fun. And I just, I look forward to the future. Absolutely. So for the player, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Spashano. Have a good night, everyone. And we will see you next time we're in the ring.